You are listening to This World of Humans, a science podcast focusing on the interface of biology and social science, coming to you from the podcast recording studio at John Jay College in New York City. For more information about today's topic, visit visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H. Hello and welcome to This World of Humans. I'm your host, Nathan Lentz. Your producer is Sam Anderson. And today we're going to wade into the thorny issue of immigration and its effect on crime rates in the United States. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is a science podcast, so why are you tackling such a politically charged public policy issue? What does this have to do with science? Well, that's a fair question, so I do want to take a minute to address it. First of all, let me be clear that we know we are not here to take sides on a political debate, uh, and that's not our intention. We're not going to do that. However, in the process of this really charged, emotional, hot-button debate, many politicians and others make claims that are ultimately scientific in nature. When that happens, the scientific community has a role to play in evaluating those claims. In fact, I would say that science is at its very best when it attempts to provide answers uh, to questions raised in public debate. After all, most science is done in service to the very public who funds most of it. There are people who claim that immigration brings crime, and there are those that claim that it doesn't. Those are scientific claims, and social scientists do have tools and techniques that can be used to reveal evidence for or against those claims. So they're scientific questions. Fair game for a science podcast, I would say. Um, Another reason why this is a great topic for our podcast is because it's not just any scientific question. It's an incredibly difficult and interesting one, and one for which there are a whole multitude of research techniques that can be used to try to answer it. So this isn't like experimental science where we can create a community from scratch, let it run for a while, throw in a bunch of immigrants, and watch what happens. Immigration is something that happens into communities that already exist, that are already complex, and that are always changing, fraught with all kinds of features and problems already. Crime is the very same thing, an incredibly complex issue with lots of moving parts. So when scientists set about to tackle such incredibly complex questions, we have to get really creative. And that's why I think this will be such an interesting conversation today. So without further delay, let me bring in our guests. First, we have joining us Professor Sharis Kubrin from the University of California at Irvine. Welcome, Professor Kubrin. Thank you for having me. We also have our very own Dr. Daniel Stageman, who is the Director of Research Operations right here at John Jay College. Welcome, Dr. Stageman. Thanks for having me. Professor Kubrin, let's start with you, because it's your recently announced paper that really got me thinking about this issue. You have just released the results of a large meta-analysis on the effect of immigration on crime rates. So first of all, congratulations on the completion of that project. Thank you. It took four years to do, so happy that it's done. I bet. Uh, So my first question is, what is a meta-analysis? So a meta-analysis is a sort of formal analysis of a literature of studies. So if you want to do an individual study, that's one thing. But what a meta-analysis tries to do is take stock of a literature. So in the case of immigration and crime, my co-author Graham Ousey and I identified a whole series of studies that had been done over a 20-year period and using meta-analytic techniques tried to kind of provide a quantitative assessment of that literature. So it's a study of studies. Exactly. It's a study of many, many studies. We were interested in the macro-level immigration crime links. So we were interested in studies that examine how immigration and crime are associated across place. So what we did is we first wanted to identify what we call the contemporary wave of immigration crime research. So we looked over the last 20 years. So we started in 1994. We went to 2014. 
and we identified every single study that has been in a peer-reviewed journal that examined the immigration crime link across place. And that search produced 51 studies. So before we talk about the results of the meta-study, I'm curious what some of these individual studies might have looked at. I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, how does one even start to to answer this question? How do you look at a specific region, whether it's a state or a neighborhood, and ask, how does immigration affect crime? I mean, how do you even begin to answer that? That, That's a great question, a fair question. I'll take a typical study, which might be a city-level study. So it's a city-level study that includes all cities in the United States, say, over 100,000 population. And you get data from the census, for example, to look at the percent foreign-born in that city. And then you get crime data from the Uniform Crime Report statistics for that city. And you look at the relationship between the percent foreign-born or percent immigration and crime while controlling for a number of important covariates, so things that are both related to immigration and crime, say the level of poverty in the city, or um, you know characteristics of the city that, that also would matter, like um, whether uh, there's a lot of mobility of the population in the city or the unemployment rate of the city or whether the city is located in a particular region of the country, et cetera. And then the researcher attempts to determine how immigration and crime are are linked using most often regression. So in your paper, you talked about two approaches that you took. The first is called a narrative review, which is a qualitative approach. Uh, What does that mean exactly? What that means is there's two ways to review a body of work. One is for you to read all of them and sort of make an assessment based on your in-depth reading and understanding and thinking about all of the studies. And that's a great way to do things, but it's not very systematic. And as we all know, we have certain biases and issues that come in in a way that might color your interpretation or reading of the literature. On the other hand, what that kind of reading and analysis allows you to do is get a handle on the bigger picture of the literature. What are the key issues? What do the studies generally show? You know, it allows you to really come into touch with the studies themselves. So that's the narrative review approach, which is one approach that we took in um, our paper. Okay. And then you also attempted to look at this issue quantitatively by somehow combining the data from many independent studies into one analysis. I mean, this is this is confusing to me because you can't just throw in apples and oranges. You have very different kinds of data with each one of these studies. I mean, all of the, the metrics would be different. How do you How do you throw apples and oranges? We reported findings for the subgroups of studies that did report using the same statistics, okay? And we did analysis on those subsamples, and then we combined them together and did an analysis of all of the studies. So we were both looking at variability within studies and variability across studies and trying to understand what characteristics of studies predicted that variability. Yeah, Nathan, I uh, I lost track in the middle there. Can you take a whack at uh, breaking that down one step further? So I guess the summary of this is you're not really putting it apples and oranges together. Rather, you look at what the apples tell you and you try to come up with a numerical sum uh, of what the apples and one particular variety of apple tells you, right? And then you also look at the story, the numerical story that the oranges tell you. And then what you have is a number in both cases, and there's different kinds of numbers that you talked about. But numbers can be combined. Apples and oranges can't, uh, but numbers can't. So you you sort of extract the summary of each study uh, numerically. And if I'm right, you also, that takes into account the size and strength of each study, right? Because not all studies are equal. 
Of course, absolutely. It's controlling for the number of covariates in the model and the sample size, some very basic things. And what we do is for each grouping of studies, we get an average effect size estimate, which summarizes that grouping as a whole. And then what we do is we do an analysis looking at how these characteristics of studies affect that average effect size estimate. Does it become stronger, weaker? You know, how does the coefficient change when you look at studies that measured immigration this way versus studies that measured immigration this way? Now, before we get into the conclusions of your work, I want to talk about the different possibilities and the theories behind them. Uh, now, scientists use the term theories a little differently. Uh, it doesn't mean guess. It means a cohesive explanation for some phenomena that we observe. Now, when we talk about immigration, how it might affect crime, there are many theories out there. So, Dr. Stageman, I want to come to you. Sure. Can you give us a little insight into the sociological theories that might explain why immigration could cause an increase in crime rates, first of all? Right. So, the, the most basic theory that is used here, and certainly Professor Kubrin uh, uses this in uh, in the meta-analysis, is social disorganization by... Uh, increasing residential turnover, so increasing sort of the inflow and outflow in any given neighborhood. People get pushed out of their right. of their community. Mm -hmm. Right. By decreasing cohesiveness of neighborhoods, so if you have a, a sort of a diversity in a neighborhood where you've got immigrants from a number of different cultures uh, and language groups coming in, then the idea in social disorganization was that that would impede their ability to have a, a sort of collective strategy for dealing with neighborhood-level disturbances, uh, the kind of crime particularly that young people bring into neighborhoods. So it's like the at the street level, this is you know all your neighbors when you're all kind of part of the same group. You get to know each other. You, it's sort of like an informal neighborhood watch, but immigration disrupts that? Is that? That was the idea. Now, that part of social disorganization has... Uh, essentially been discredited for, for some time. Well, let me let me talk about some of the counter theories then. Uh, Professor Cooper told us that some studies have found that immigration actually lowers crime rates. What are the, what are the theories behind that? How could an influx of immigrants uh, lower the crime rate, given what you just said? In the United States, most immigration is motivated by economic factors. The difference in quality of life, the difference in wages between source countries and receiving countries. So, there are a couple of ideas that make folks think that that lowers crime. Uh, first of all, the individuals that are motivated to immigrate are thought to be people who are motivated to work. They are individuals who are thought to be more motivated to find employment, more concentrated on their employment, more concentrated on achievement through uh, traditional means rather than... So the immigrants are a rather selective group uh, of individuals in the first place who have the initiative and the drive to leave it all, start somewhere new, knowing that they're going to have to work from the bottom. Yeah, that's one part of the theory. Um, they're also, I imagine most immigrants that uh, immigrate, I live in a heavily immigrant neighborhood, and what I notice is that they're all families. You you come with, with largely two-parent families, cohesive families living together. That That's not... You don't have a lot of unpaired young men is what I what I see in my neighborhood anyway. Is that part of this? Yeah, and this actually speaks to an interesting finding in Professor Kubrin's meta-analysis in that the the finding, and this is the the most interesting to me, is is that these traditional immigrant destinations like 
like New York City, like certain neighborhoods in New York and Queens, Astoria, Jackson Heights, these neighborhoods, the meta-analysis found that immigration had a negative effect on crime. But in what are called new destination uh, locations, such as uh, the Midwest, smaller towns, places where you're probably more likely to find immigrants, uh, immigration, immigrant groups comprised of working men without families, those areas found a positive effect between immigration and crime. Okay. And this reminds me somewhat of, of another thing we hear a lot in the immigration debate, is that is the desire to not disrupt families and not break up families. Is the presence of a family unit helpful here? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, in prior research that Graham Alsey and I had done in a paper published in Social Problems, we looked at the relationship between this is so this is just one study immigration and crime over a 20 year period. And one of the things we found was that um, family stability was in part responsible for the negative relationship between immigration and crime and family stability in our study was measured by um, the percent uh, you know, that were not divorced and the percent who did not, not having a single parent household. And it's true, on average, immigrant families are less likely to be unstable in, according to those measures or what we call have lower levels of family disruption on average compared to native born blacks and whites. Um, and so because um, family disruption is a strong predictor of crime and delinquency, um, that is one of the explanations that's out there. It's, it seems to me that in different destinations and in different settings, some of the criminological theories about how immigration affects crime might have more or less support. In your studies, Dr. Kubrin, would you say that there are any theories that we can effectively abandon now, that there's yes. simply no evidence for it? And if so, tell me. I, I would rule out the traditional social disorganization perspective that Dr. Stagevin talked about before. I mean, the, the assumptions that were made by the early Chicago school researchers that immigration to an area disrupts the sort of fabric and the cohesiveness of the community, both through mobility, but as well as diversity. I mean, the argument was, you know, immigrants come in, they bring different languages, different cultural mm -hmm. values. Heterogeneity. That, Heterogeneity, exactly. So this idea that this diversity and variability and heterogeneity is associated with crime, that makes sense. I mean, there's a plausible uh, argument there, but it just doesn't show up in the data. And actually, one of the things I wanted to add to what Dr. Stageman said before was that um, there's actually a newer version of disorganization theory that has emerged. Um, I would say started by Ramiro Martinez, one of the major immigration scholars in the field, called the immigration revitalization thesis. And this has been what has sort of replaced the traditional social disorganization argument. And that, that argument is simply that far from being a disorganizing force, as was originally argued, immigration to an area can actually revitalize the area and provide new forms of social control um, that help a community. And, and you can think about a typical immigrant enclave where you've got a bustling economy, co-ethnics, hiring other co-ethnics, helping each other out, encouraging entrepreneurship. I mean, I realize that this is a bit of a um, ideal case, but there are situations where you have enclaves where the... Um, Sounds a lot like Queens. Yeah. So, I mean, I can name a number of different places throughout the United States. And so the idea there is that, no, actually, more immigration to that area doesn't cause this disorganizing force. And Robert Sampson has written recently about how population decline in cities across the United States over time um, has been a real strong correlate of crime. But immigration in some of these places have, has actually helped save some of these cities. Uh, but I want to get back to 
uh, the conclusions of this paper. So four years of work, 51 studies uh, that you've examined inside and out. What do you think the take-home message here? What is the conclusion uh, regarding how immigration affects local crime rates? Yeah, it's very simple. I mean, the data don't lie. Uh, immigration to an area does not cause crime to go up and, in fact, may cause it to go down. Across our studies, no matter how we slice them, we found that, on average, the immigration crime relationship is negative. It's very weak, but it's negative. So it's close to zero, almost no relationship whatsoever. When we did find a significant relationship, 2.5 times more likely to be negative than positive. So that's not to say that there's not a study or a handful of studies that show more immigration leads to more crime, but those are few and far between. Well, that's, uh, again, the great role of science is to inform public policy with data and evidence, and that's what we do when we're at our best, I think. Um, any final thoughts for us, Professor Kubrin? I guess with all the research that's been done in this area, not just by myself, but a number of folks in the field, and this meta-analysis especially for me, I've moved on from asking, are immigration and crime related? I feel like we know the answer to that. It's very clear. So rarely do you find such consistent findings in the literature. Um, so I've moved on from that. For me now, the interesting question is really getting at why. What is it that accounts for lower crime rates in immigrant communities? And I think we don't know the answer to that question. And that's where I really wish we could move. I think I, I wish we could get away from this, our immigration and crime related question and move towards understanding the why. That about does it for us. Uh, the paper we discussed today will be out in early 2018, but it's available now at the Annual Reviews of Criminology, and we will include a link to that on our website. And our guests have been Professor Sharis Kubrin. Thank you for joining us, Professor. Thank you. Dr. Dan Stageman. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. This has been another episode of This World of Humans, and I'm Nathan Lentz, wishing you all a great week. This has been another episode of This World of Humans, a podcast and science education initiative currently funded by John Jay College, the City University of New York, and Vision Learning. For science educators, don't forget to check out our website for a wealth of resources to help integrate this episode and its featured article into your science classroom. Find us at visionlearning.com slash TWOH.